0: The following program contains subject information that may be inappropriate for our younger listeners.
1: What's stopping you, you, you. from becoming a Catholic? Why can't women become priests?
2: 1833288EWTN
3: I don't understand why I have to earn salvation. 18332883986
2: What's stopping you? Why do I need
1: to confess
0: my sins to a priest?
2: What's stopping you? you, you. This is Call to Communion with Dr. David Anders on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey
0: everybody, welcome again to Call to Communion on this Wednesday afternoon here on EWTN. It's the program for our non-Catholic brothers and sisters. Have you got a question about the Catholic faith that you're trying to get an answer to? Uh, Whatever your faith tradition is, we are here to help. Here's our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 288 3986. If you're listening in Panama, you can uh, do this. Uh, Just dial 1 and then 205 271. And, of course, you can always send us an email. The address for that: ctc at ewtn.com. Charles Beery is our producer. Matt Kabinsky is our phone screener. Rich Jesse handles social media for us. If you want to ask a question via YouTube or Facebook, we're streaming on both platforms right now. Just put your uh, question in the comments box. And uh, Rich will see that. He'll shoot it to us here in the studio. I'd love to get your question answered on today's program. Again, the number 833-288-3986. I'm Tom Price along with Dr. David Anders. Now, are you sure we didn't skip the O's? Did we do O? Oman. We did do Oman. You're we did right. Oman okay. yesterday. We're up to Panama. Okay. So, Good yeah. job. Yeah. Uh, cues. I'm not quite sure about. I'll have to look into oh, that. Oh, we got some cues. We got cues. Okay. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to it. So you are actually going to be very charmed and very impressed with the brilliance of an 11 year old listener, David. All right. Let's hear it. This is from Claire in Centennial, Colorado. Hi, Doctor Anders. I'm in sixth grade, and today at school, I was talking with my friends about whether you will only need faith to get to heaven. I am Catholic, and I cited James 2.17. They cited Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, and challenged me to find more than a single verse. Do you have any ideas? Also, how did James and Ephesians fit together? My mom and I listen to your show all the time on the way to school. I think it's great in Christ Claire.
4: Well, uh, Claire is quite the apologist and I really appreciate her. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah, so so what Ephesians 2:8 says is that you've been saved by faith and it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So that is in the Catholic Bible. The Catholic Church put it in there. And so we know all about Ephesians 2. We do. And yet it doesn't stop us from teaching that you need more than faith alone to be saved. How can we hold this as Catholics? Well, what Ephesians teaches in chapter 2 is expanded on in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. So to understand Ephesians, you need to go read those books alongside of them. And what Galatians and Romans teach us is that the works in question, the works that don't save you, are obedience to the ritual prescriptions of the Mosaic Law. So, you know, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, God gave him a bunch of rules to follow. Ten Commandments were among them, but but so were things like, you know, the dietary rules and circumcision of male infants and a whole mess of things. And there were those people in St. Paul's day who thought that what marked you out as belonging to the family of God, the way you knew you were in God's good graces, so to speak, was that you adhered to the Mosaic Code in all of its fine particulars. And... uh. Jesus, his whole ministry was a kind of critique of that idea. Not that he thought there was anything wrong with the Mosaic Law per se, but it it was possible to have a kind of outward conformity to the prescriptions of the law. You could avoid certain kinds of meats, certain kinds of clothing, and cooking in certain fashions, and you could tithe your mint and dill and cumin, but, Christ said, you could do all those things and still neglect the weightier matters of the law, like love and justice and mercy. And so What you really have to be concerned with, according to Paul and Jesus, is what the the law resolves to the love of God and neighbor. And Paul tells us in Romans 13, 8, that if you loved God and neighbor, you fulfilled the whole law. Now, can you be saved without doing that? Can you be saved without loving God and neighbor? And the answer is emphatically no. And that's why Paul tells us in Romans 2, verse 13, it's not those who hear the law— is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. You actually have to do the thing. You have to love God and neighbor. That comes through faith, but it's a, it's a faith that brings us a grace that changes our life. So if you look at Romans two, twenty five to 29, what we learn is that the grace that comes through faith changes your heart, gives you—circumcises your heart rather than just your flesh, it gives you a different character— so that you're capable of fulfilling what Paul calls the righteous requirements of the law. That would be the love of God and neighbor, right? Without which you cannot be saved. All of the teaching of Jesus is about the ethical life. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the the meek. Blessed are the persecuted, and so forth. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart. All of these are the ones who will see God, who will participate in the kingdom of God. In, In Matthew 25 when Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats at the end of time, he doesn't say, here, everybody who believes get on one side, everybody who doesn't believe get on the other side. What he actually says is, those of you who have fed the hungry, clothed the naked, given drink to the thirsty, visited the sick or the imprisoned, welcome into my kingdom. Those who haven't done these things, you're out of here. And he anticipates the response, but we had faith. And so some will say to him on that day, "Lord, Lord," and he'll say, "Away from me! I never knew you, because you didn't do to the least of these which you should have." Right? So that's the that's the teaching of the whole Bible. Now, the, the 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 passage you cited from James, James chapter two, is almost certainly a book that was written to respond to a misinterpretation of Saint Paul. So there were people in James's day who read Paul the way your classmates do, and they said, "Well, we don't have to do anything because we have faith." and James said no that's not what Paul means you do have to do things and that you're not saved by faith alone and he says explicitly you're not saved by faith alone and you know and the whole like can't you come up with more than one verse business well yeah we the whole bible right we just came up with that <laughs> but but that's kind of a dodge because it's it's so clear it's the, the only place in scripture where the phrase faith alone is used is James chapter 2 where he's repudiating rejecting that doctrine mm-hmm
0: There you go. Claire, what an excellent way, a most excellent way to kick off today's broadcast. Thanks so much for listening to us in Centennial, Colorado. What a beautiful part of our country. By the way, if you would like to send us an email for a future show, the address is ctc at ewtn.com, ctc at ewtn.com. In a -a 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 moment, we'll talk with Al in Panama City. We have lines open for you right now at 833-833. 288 EWTN. If you have a question for Dr. David Anders, 833-288-3986. Call to communion on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here on EWTN. Do stay with us. It's called a communion on this Wednesday afternoon here on EWTN Our phone number 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We'll get to the phones in just a second. Let me tell you about something wonderful on our website, and that is the online learning series, In His Sandals. You can discover the beauty, truth, and goodness of the church with the EWTN online learning series, delve into the riches of the faith, grow closer to our Lord with free videos and study guides. EWTN invites you to be still and sit with the Lord through In His Sandals. It's our online video reflections with our very own chaplain, Father Joseph Mary Wolf. Enroll in our courses today at learningseries.ewtn.com I'll give you that once again. It's very important, especially as we're uh, approaching Lent here. learningseries.ewtn.com ewtn.com. If you're ready now, it's go to the phones at eight three three two eight eight EWTN. Beginning today with Al in Panama City, listening on the great Guadalupe Radio. Hello, Al, what's on your mind today, sir?
2: Hello, ladies and
1: gentlemen. Um this is uh kind of embarrassed to say the question I should probably know. But first of all, Doctor Anders, you your show is one of the exciting factors for me coming home to the topic. So thank you, sir, and uh, the gospel talks about bringing that one lost sheep home, so God bless you. And um, my question, I was catechized in the late 70s, and uh, uh poor, poorly catechized. It was back then, do it because we told you. And I um, didn't know about the for right that is being a mass where our claims from our venial sin. I recently heard that. We even called my oldest sister, and she was like, "What?" And she has good, definitive information explaining that. And it makes sense that we have to be cleansed
4: to go to communion. Can you can you help me expound on this, maybe? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate the
0: question. Sorry, so, sorry about the terrible so, phone the, connection. The
4: question was about the penitential rite in the Mass. Sometimes we'll pray the Confiteor or some other form of confession of sin before Mass. And it's to get our hearts in the right place before we participate in the holy sacrifice. And you'll you'll find versions of this you know, going way back in the tradition. You can find it in the Mass, the Tridentine rite, of course, the liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom. Um, and uh, and Augustine talks about it in his uh, address to the catechumens on the creed. He talks about the prayers offered in the Mass being sufficient to atone for venial sin where those who have committed more serious crimes have to do, uh, you know, a penance imposed by the Church and receive absolution. So we we find that teaching, you know, going way back in the history of the Church. And uh, you you remember the kind of the model for this is Psalm 51, where where David says, "...against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, Um, you know, sacrifice and offering you don't desire, but a contrite heart you will not despise, therefore wash me and cleanse me, and then I'll be able to offer sacrifice." Right? So the idea of a, of a moral purification as a requirement for for offering the act of sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Mass, is a biblical teaching. Paul says, you know, purify yourself of everything that contaminates flesh or spirit out of reverence for God. And so that's always been a part of the liturgy.
0: And there you go. Al, thanks so much uh, for your call. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Dr. David Anders, 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. Call to communion on this Wednesday afternoon here on EWTN. Adriana is in Miami, listening on her Alexa device. Adriana, what's on your mind today?
5: Yes, hi. No, thank you so much. And I have a question for Dr. Anders. Uh, I, I was having this discussion with someone that came back from the church, and also with my father. And um, he wanted, you know, and they both had the same question. It was. How is it that some people that live in grace continuously, you know, go to church weekly and um, it seems like things don't go well for them. You know, they can't find a job, this and that. And people that never go to church do not feel good things and it seems like everything is going well for them. And so then we had this discussion. I wasn't really sure how to answer it other than don't look at your neighbor. Just focus on, you know, your life and give thanks what you have, but we don't know what's really going on, but it seems like, yeah, the people that don't go to church never, they're not in the state of grace, and they have all, you know, all the materialisms and every they never have any needs, so, we'll, you know, like, so that was the discussion, and sort of what I wanted to ask Dr. Anders for the yeah, answer. Thanks. That?
4: Appreciate it. So, you remember when some people came to Jesus and said, we want to follow you, and he responded, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He meant he was homeless. Yeah. Jesus was homeless. He, had, he was the original couch surfer, right? <laughs> yeah. And he was poor. He didn't have money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and things did not go well for him in a material sense of the word. You know, he, he, he died in his early 30s. An ignominious and horrifying brutal death and was abandoned by his country, his kinsmen, and his closest allies. It did not go well for Jesus. No, no. Right? And, and Scripture talks about this in, in the Book of Wisdom. There's a wonderful prophetic passage about the, um, the wicked who despise the righteous and they want to put him to death because his way of life is despicable to them, and he makes them feel bad about themselves. And that's clearly, you know, a prophecy of Christ. Um, this, this frustration that you experience is recognized in the Bible. So Psalm 37, um, we read, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. So the Psalms, we find over and over again this admonition Um, not to worry when the wicked get ahead in the material sense of the word. Christ modeled for us what we should care about. Um, You remember the temptations in the desert. Jesus uh, goes out to the desert, and he doesn't have anything, doesn't have any food, doesn't have water. And 40 days out there, the devil appears to him and says, here's some food, here's some water. Jesus' response is, I have, you know, my food is to do the will of God. Um, And we're to imitate the life of Christ. That, that ultimately what we are to care about is the life of virtue in imitation of Jesus mm-hmm. love, and love. And be indifferent, St. Ignatius of Loyola talks about holy indifference, indifferent to our material circumstances. Now, that's really hard to do. And I'm, I'm the first to admit that. That's really, really hard to do. Um, but, but you know, fortitude is one of the virtues. that is, that is constancy in the face of adversity, being able to stick to the plan when it gets hard, right? Hard for me. Don't have a lot of fortitude myself, right? But it's I recognize it as a virtue. Um, uh, you know, this is a this is a value that you you don't have to be Catholic to recognize. You know, there's a story about the Greek philosopher Socrates. A a wealthy Athenian came to Socrates one day and said, Socrates, why would I want to go in for this philosophy business that you do? Because, you know, you don't have a nice house and you don't have nice clothes and you don't get to eat fine food and you go around barefoot and, you know, you have a lot of enemies and life doesn't seem to be going so well for you. And Socrates' response was, Well, see, you need a nice house and fine food and shoes and everybody liking you in order to be happy. I'm basically indifferent to those things, and the way I look at it, Socrates says, is God doesn't have any material needs. So the more I can divest myself of dependence upon such things, the closer I am to God. Mm. And that, um, the Greek word for it is apatheia, it's where we get the English word apathy, right, is a monastic virtue, it's recognized by all the desert fathers and the tradition of the Church, that one of the things I'm meant to cultivate is a kind of apathy, if you will, a kind of holy indifference, to, to material welfare and ups and downs and find my happiness in God, in the life of virtue, that virtue is its own reward. Um, and that there are transcendent goods, um, goods that I, that I can experience in the depths of my soul that are much greater than the material goods that the world has to offer me. Now, again, that's hard. I'm not saying that I live that way, but I'm telling you that's what the faith tells us to aspire to. And you know, at the end of the day, most of the things that happen to us in the world we can't control; they're outside of our control. Yeah. And if I, if my conception of my happiness is dependent upon the the external circumstances of my life, then I, you know, it'll go well for me, badly, it'll go well for me one day, and badly for the next, and my 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 state of well-being will go up and down, you know, randomly. What I want to hope for, what I aim for, is a state of well-being, of beatitude uh, that's not dependent on those things, but comes from my intimacy with the heart of Jesus and and the mind
0: of God. Adriana, thanks so much for your call from Miami. Good to hear from you today. It's called to communion on this Wednesday afternoon. Lines are open for you at 833-288-EWTN if you have a question for Dr. David Anders. 833-288-3986. Here's an email. From Wally, dear Dr. Anders, I'm going on a trip to Las Vegas soon to attend a conference related to my work in psychiatry. Well, my brother lives in Las Vegas. He told me that when I visit him there, he'll take me to a strip club. So my question is, is it a sin if I go into a strip club with my brother only to watch the activities there and do nothing more? Thank you, Wally. Do not go in the strip club. Thank you. Do not go in the strip club.
4: (laughs) You know, I have never been to a strip club, all right, thankfully. um, And I have no experience with that. But I will tell you a story about, and I've never been invited to go to one, thanks be to God, okay? In fact, I was talking to a good Catholic friend of mine. I was driving through a kind of a seedy part of Birmingham. I was on my way to, like, get tires or something for my car. And uh, and I saw this, um, let's say, you know— House of ill repute, so to speak. Okay. And I was on the phone with a buddy of mine, and I was kind of just being obnoxious, and I said, yeah, that's probably where you hung out in your wilder days. And he said to me, he said, Anders, I didn't have wilder days, because I've known Christ my whole life. You know, I've I've always wanted to do his will. And and that's a... I never went to strip clubs, but I had wilder days. Sure, and sure. I mean, I, and I, I was struck by that, and I thought, what a, what a enviable position to be in, Sure, you know, to be someone who always only ever wanted to do the good. You know, Pope John Paul II got really offended one time because someone wrote a biography of him where they talked about how he had frequent recourse to the sacrament of confession after he had basically been subject to the kind of temptations of the flesh that young men are often subject to. Okay. And he, he said, why does anyone assume that it's impossible for a young man to live a holy life. Meaning, like, I didn't, he, he the Pope said, I didn't need to do that. Like, I, I I never did that. You know, I never went that way. You know, I didn't—yeah, I went to confession, but not for that. Right? I, I didn't want to do that. Sure, and sure. It's a great position to be in. But um, anyway, so back to my dad. So my dad was an attorney, and, uh, you know, he practiced law. Uh, he was a corporate lawyer, and he told me one time, you know, David, if I only did business with— good, honest, decent Christian people I'd starve to death <laughs> right? you know? And so he had, he had situations where he was around folks that weren't necessarily living the way he wanted mm, to live, yeah. and they would try to get him to go to those places, and uh, he'd, get, he'd find himself in a cab, and there'd be like, you know, four guys in there, and they'd tell the cab driver, go over here. My father's response was always, stop the cab, let me out, I'm on the street. Just let me go, I'm not, I'm not going with you, yeah. right, ever, and he was he, he had such a reputation for not going along that um when he got to be an older lawyer himself and some of the wild heads would try to get the young lawyers to do those things, they would say, uh, well if you can get Andrews to go, I'll go. Otherwise I'm not going. Ooh. And then they would say, Oh, well that's a hopeless cause. The Anders would never go, you know. <laughs> and um and uh, you know, there would if women came into his office, he would he would get up from his desk and go, Open the door. And then sometimes he would open the door and then put my mother on speakerphone Ooh. and say, what does he want to talk to me about? You know, wow. like he was, he was incredibly prudent about not putting himself either in situations of temptation or places where people could get the wrong idea, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because he had that reputation for moral integrity, m- men whose lives were less well-ordered started coming to him to ask him advice about the marriage and families and he wasn't a family law attorney it wasn't that kind of thing it was just i'm gonna have a problem i need to know what to Mm -hmm. and sometimes they would come and say i'm thinking of divorcing my wife and he would say you can't do it it's immoral you'll go to hell next question and and he talked quite a few men down from divorcing their wives you know, men that stayed married the rest of their life because of his witness to integrity and moral yeah, decency. Yeah. And uh, that made a huge impression on me growing up, seeing him witness to purity of life and the dignity of marriage and not putting himself in situations of temptation or, you know, to lead him or other people into sin and, and, the, and how that began to benefit not only his own life and soul, but his family and then the lives of his colleagues in a wider
0: circle of people. Mm, so, yeah. Um, Lord, keep me from sin, and whatever leads me to sin. Sure. So, uh, Wally, you got your answer. Thanks so much uh, for your email. And if we could talk for just a a moment about all this. Your dad, uh, what a wonderful man, and he lived that life. And my point here is that people are always watching. Yep. Somebody is always watching you to see how you will react in a certain situation
4: yep that's right that's right and
0: that's that you you' that's a Wally's it's a brother that yes, might this yes. might be a test well, could be yeah could be appreciate uh, your email today Wally and uh, again if you would like to send us an email for a future show that email address is CTC at ewtncom CTC at ewtn.com we try to answer uh, two or three questions if, if we can, emails on every one of our live programs. Once a month or so, we'll do a mailbag. We'll answer a whole bunch of questions. We look forward to all of our programs, whether they're mailbags or a live show like today. In a moment, we'll be talking with Bill, a first-time caller from Pennsylvania. Lines are open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN if you have a question for Dr. David Anders. 833-288-3986. Call to Communion on this Wednesday afternoon here on EWTN. Do stay with us. It's called to Communion on this Wednesday afternoon here on EWTN. The phone lines are open for you right now at 833. 833- 288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Congratulations going out to a long-time member of the EWTN radio family. That would be Siouxland Catholic Radio. They're at 88.1 FM serving Sioux City and Storm Lake, Iowa, celebrating 16 years with us this week. How about that? Congratulations to Ann and Lisa and their great team at Siouxland Catholic Radio from your friends here at EWTN. Back to The phone's now for Bill, a first-time caller from Pennsylvania, listening on the great JMJ Catholic Radio. Hello, Bill. What's on your mind today?
2: Hey, uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. I have a question. I'm a convert of about 19 years. Uh, Every year uh, after the Feast of St. Blaise, whether it was in the middle of the week or this uh, year was on a Saturday, Mm -hmm. uh, thrashing... Uh, the blessing of the throats were offered on Sunday. Uh, this year, nothing was done. It wasn't even mentioned. And I found out that it happened in several parishes. Now, is there any kind of a new directive that said that that should not be done?
4: I,
0: I have absolutely no idea. I had my throat blessed. Uh, my, we had our throat blessed on Saturday and Sunday. So we got, we got the double dose. We got
4: the double whammy, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, as a matter of fact, and you probably know about this, David, uh, my wife Adrienne had a healing on the Feast of St. Blaise of her throat, and she could not sing at all, I mean, or, or barely like one song. She went on to record two albums, all that because of the, uh, you know, our our wonderful Lord. The and Intercession of St. Blaise. Saint intercession of St. Blaise. So, Bill, that sounds to us like a— a local issue, right, David? Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. Okay, you may want to ask your pastor about that. Call to Communion here on EWTN. Uh, thank you so much, Bill, for your question. Here's one now from Annie in Florida. Dr. Andrews, as a former Calvinist, knowing the doctrine of predestination, or as some, some would say, double predestination, wouldn't be the same thing in Catholic or even uh, Arminian understanding? that God, being omniscient, would know who will come to him and who will not, and he still creates those souls he knows will not come to him.
4: Yeah, thanks. No, there are differences in different groups' understanding of the doctrine of predestination. So simple foreknowledge is uh, uh, really anticipated by almost nobody, right? I mean, that because the, the Scriptures are so clear that God has a special call on certain individuals or groups. Um, And so let me give you a perspective that I think is a biblical one, and I'm not going to go deep into the dogmatic teaching of the Church, but I want to give you some thoughts from Sacred Scripture. When, when, uh, When God called Abraham, he didn't call Abraham because... He simply foreknew that Abraham was going to fortuitously give up get up and leave Ur of the Chaldeans and truck over to Egypt. <laughs> right. I mean, no, he told Abraham, Get up out of your home and go over here to this land that I will show you, and I'm gonna make your name great. Then Abraham did that. He obeyed God, which was credited to him as righteousness. When um, and why did he why did he call Abraham? He called Abraham because he had a plan to bless the world. So there was an election, there was a choice of Abraham. Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't simply because he foresaw Abraham's merits. It was because he had, a, he had a plan to use Abraham and his progeny to be a blessing to the world. So there was both a special election, but it was a special election that had a kind of universal scope. In the same way, when he called um, the Blessed Virgin Mary, she didn't have a choice in the matter from the moment of her conception. Like, none of us do. She was conce- conceived without original sin. She didn't get a vote in that. It was a special determination of God to make this particular virgin in Nazareth suitable— excuse me, well, Bethlehem ultimately, Christ was born— but to make this particular virgin a suitable vessel for the incarnation of the Son of God. Um, So he called her and gave her a special gift of holiness. But was it for her salvation alone? No, it was for the sake of the salvation of the whole world when God called Christ and the Catholic Church talks about the predestination of Jesus. Uh you know, did did God just look around the world and say, you know, I'm gonna flip a coin <laughs> and and whatever it lands on, that's the humanity that the second person of the Trinity is going to assume. Right? And Ooh. so, you know, we could we could maybe we'll find a human nature someplace in you know, the sub-Saharan Africa. Maybe we'll we'll pull one out of, uh, you know, Australasia. You know, heck, maybe we should be incarnate in a penguin from Antarctica. And the, <laughs> believe it or not, the scholastic theologians of the Middle Ages used to ask those kind of questions. Wow. Occam famously pondered whether God could have become incarnate in a donkey if he'd wanted to. All right. I'm not going to even go there right now. Please. But, I mean, you, you could literally—it God. It didn't work that way. Rather, God predestined—he determined from eternity past— That this specific humanity, born of that specific virgin, would be assumed by the second person of the Trinity, so that the God-man would have that particular character and identity. But again, was it for the sake of the salvation of Christ's human nature? No! It was for the sake of the whole world. Here's another election. God has elected the Catholic faithful, the members of Christ in the Catholic Church. But is it for the sake of their own salvation alone? Or is it not also for the sake of the salvation of the world? There is both a particular election and the the, the universal intent of that
0: election for the salvation of all. Annie, thanks so much uh, for your email. Call to communion here on EWTN. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN, 833 uh, 833- 288-3986. Uh, maybe you would like to explain to us what is stopping you from becoming a Catholic. What is that one thing about the Catholic faith that you're going, uh-uh, that's a bridge too far. Love to talk with you about that. 833-288-EWTN. Here's Amy, a first-time caller in Cincinnati, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hello, Amy. What's on your mind today? Amy in Cincinnati. You? There you go
6: yes can you hear me yes (laughs)
0: yes go right ahead
6: okay i had a question regarding um how to handle a situation when a priest from the pulpit during a homily states something that is completely opposite of catholic teaching um had an incident that happened a couple of sundays ago in regard to demonic possession would you like me to explain further sure sure okay So the priest, um, you know, the past couple of Sundays, the Gospels have been about Jesus casting out demons, and he, two weeks ago, um, very clearly stated that that was misunderstood, that it was mental health, mental illness, um, specifically anxiety and depression, that they didn't understand at that time, and so it was not actually Jesus casting out demons, it was just him healing a, a, a mentally ill person. He had further expounded on that, but I, I had to pray about it because I was very upset because I'm like, this is not truth, and um, approached him after mass and asked him to clarify if he was saying that that specific incident was the only incident that wasn't demonic possession, or if there's no demonic possession. He said there is no such thing as demonic possession; that there's. The holy spirit is within us so there's no room for demons i further clarified about exorcists in the catholic church which he said that we're stuck in the dark ages and then i said so is there no hell and he said no i don't believe there is well he didn't say there wasn't hell he said i don't believe hell is permanent um and that somehow god will show us his mercy
0: our our call screener points out that this is a retired priest is that correct amy
6: correct, okay. but he is on staff at our parish, but he is a retired
4: priest. Okay. Yeah, thanks. So um, I think what I would do in this case is uh, I might—I mean, you've already talked to the priest— I might go to the pastor of the parish and say, you know, did you know that Father So-and-So is contradicting Catholic dogma? Because there, there is a dogma on hell. It's, you can find it in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Catechism also talks about demons and possession— and and the ritual of the church from the time of Christ has always included the office of uh, of exorcist, which presumes the reality of dom- demonic possession. And and uh, and to make the claim that the church's liturgical practice and um and is uh is is merely medieval superstition is, of course, to really put yourself outside the um you know the, the mind of the church and and her and her life of ministry. So that's deeply problematic. So I would I would go to the pastor and say, this is uh, this is unacceptable, and, um, you know, Father needs to rein it in, or he, he shouldn't stick around. And, you know, if you've done that, and then he keeps saying these kinds of things, then the next step would be to take it to the bishop. And when you've done that, you've exhausted your last Court of Appeal. Yeah. Is that helpful for you,
0: Amy? It is. It is. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much uh, for your call today from Cincinnati. Call to Communion here on EWTN. We do a number of things uh, for our young listeners, young readers on EWTN. We have podcasts on EWTN's Podcast Central. We have uh, a wonderful website called Church Pop that you might uh, enjoy. And there's also a great weekend radio show called Beyond Damascus with Aaron Richards and Dan Demite, uh, specifically for our young adult listeners. Do check that out Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, no matter what your age is, I think you'll enjoy the show. Beyond Damascus, Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, only on EWTN Radio. We were talking about the Catechism a moment ago. M.C. writes this email. Dr. Anders, what is the Catechism? Yeah, thanks.
4: I appreciate the question. So, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is a book that was produced at the behest of John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, um, uh, with collaboration from... Uh, bishops around the world, and uh, people especially pointed to the task, who are experts in catechetical ministry, that's instruction in the Catholic faith. And the target audience is really the bishop, bishops and priests, so they can have a point of reference to guide catechetical instruction in their church. So um, if you are in the business of presenting the Catholic faith, and you need a go-to reference to make sure you know the Catholic position on such-and-such a topic— Um, The catechism is that reference, and the content of the catechism is what's considered appropriate content for catechetical instruction. Now, um, let's make some distinctions. Is everything that you need to know about the Catholic faith in the catechism? No. No, there's all kinds of stuff that's not in the catechism. You can't put everything in one book, okay? Um, Is everything in the catechism equally authoritative? Also, the answer to that question is no. So, for example, the catechism quotes sacred scripture. Only scripture is divinely inspired. We don't say that tradition is inspired. We can say it's infallible, but we don't say it's inspired. So inspiration is a different category. Um, the, the catechism quotes infallible pronouncements of the church's magisterium. Um, it also quotes spiritual writings of saints and holy people. Well, those each of those three categories are very different from one another. Um, you know, the poetic language of a saint that they wrote in some prayer is neither infallible nor inspired. It's interesting. It may be authoritative in a certain way. It's, mm-hmm. help, it's illustrative. Um, but it's not the same thing as quoting Holy Scripture or quoting a council of the Church, okay? And, uh, and so to make proper use of the catechism, that's why it's really not directed— you know, the catechism itself is not the textbook for RCIA classes, you know. Okay. Um to make good use of it, the, you need some antecedent knowledge of the Catholic faith and an understanding of how Catholic dogma works in order to how in order to apply it well, right? That being said, I still recommend that everybody read it. And on my way into the Catholic faith, I I picked up the catechism and read it cover to cover. And I think it's just a magnificent book. It's very beautifully arranged. The texts that it selects are themselves profoundly edifying. Mhm. And uh, my my understanding of and appreciation of the Catechism has only grown over the years, as it has become more nuanced as well.
0: It's great stuff. Uh, MC, thanks so much for your email. Let's go back to the phones now for Samuel. Samuel's a first-time caller from Iowa, listening on YouTube this afternoon. Samuel, what's on your mind today, sir? Hi,
3: Dr. David. Thanks for taking my call. First-time caller, like I said, um, I listen to you on Iowa Catholic Radio usually, but I'm participating in the chat and just reading it, which is great. Um, okay. here's, my, here's my situation that I'd like your opinion on or advice. Um, so I went to a Catholic school in a different state, but I moved back, and uh, my buddy, who went to a different Catholic school than me, and I've been friends with him nearly my entire adult life and young adult life, and um, over the past 10 years or so, I fell out of the faith. I've came back. I'm taking my sacrament you know, I'm doing confession, I'm taking it very seriously and, and I'm I'm in it for the long haul. And so, um he was he fell off too, the wagon, but he went more of the atheism route and uh about two months ago we were having um discussions and he said, You know what, Sam, he said, um I I've come to the conclusion that I do actually believe Jesus was a real person. And to me that was a big thing coming from where he was in his past and all that. But here's my question. Um and I, I evangelize like I'm supposed to, but I do it in kind of a light way, because I know how, how to uh, how to positively affect him, because I love him, and he's a good good guy, Tony. Um, but my question is, is you know, last night we were having some discussions, and he still has trepidation um, towards the Church because of the, um, you know, the scandalous stuff that was going on in the late 90s, early 1000s and and i would and i know in my heart how to logically and reason out how um to get past that stuff but maybe you could help me out and to tell him something concise or maybe you know how to help me with that
4: yeah thanks i appreciate the question so look i'm scandalized about the scandals too i think we all are we all find them horrific yes. and and in in defending the catholic faith i'm under no obligation to defend Some of her habitual ways of doing business, you know, I mean, like, Pope Francis is always going on about the need to reform the way we do business in in Catholic ministry and to put mission ahead of maintenance of ecclesial structures, Um, and and I'm under no obligation to defend those structures. I mean, some of them are really moribund, and they need to be gotten rid of. Um, And the Catholic faith teaches that, you know, people have the capacity for virtue and vice, And just because you're Catholic doesn't mean you're going to put the faith into practice in a way that's inwardly transformative. And, you know, superstition and immorality are part of the human condition, and they're hard to overcome, and that's true for priests like the rest of us, and power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and all that stuff. I mean, that's just Mm. that's true of everybody, no matter who who you are. And so for me, the question of being Catholic, I mean, I, I came into the faith at the height of the... Media coverage of the abuse scandal in the early two thousands, and I have to say that it, it really didn't it didn't stop me it didn't deter me for a second in my decision to become Catholic because I never thought I was becoming Catholic because I wanted to be around all the holy hierarchs in the church, right? I, it wasn't it wasn't the quality of the bishops of the priesthood per se that attracted me to Catholicism. You know, the contemporary bishops and and priests. It was it was the objective teaching of the Church down two thousand years the sacraments and the hope of sharing in the holiness of the saints, right? So, you know, people like St. Francis came to tremendous holiness at times of deep Church corruption uh, because they held to the person of Christ and the mm-hmm. sacraments and the example of the saints. And, and, like, that, those are the riches of the Church that I wanted to lay hold of. I wanted to go to Mass with St. Augustine, with St. Francis, with St. Dominic, with St. Catherine, you know, not necessarily with cardinal law
0: right no, you know yeah.
4: and 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 i still feel that way you know and now once i became catholic i discovered that there are a lot of unsung heroes because you know who's never going to get a you know a new york times front page article a humble unassuming catholic priest you know spends 50 years in ministry in small rural town in kansas where he faithfully serves the people of god and is a father to everybody and baptizes you know 50,000 babies and celebrates you know 25,000 marriages and hears hundreds of thousands of confessions and reconciles sinners to God and dies ignominiously and everybody has forgotten his name. That that guy's never going to be on the front page. And yet there are priests like that all over the country, Yes, right? And a lot of times they're not in positions of authority. You know, St. John Vianney, who we all now venerate, is like, he, man, he is the grand poobah of priests. Mm. He is the patron of all priests, and, pa- and, and parish priests in particular— forget that in his own day his his fellow presbyters thought little of him and so they shipped him off to the hinterlands of his diocese where nobody else wanted to go and they're priests like that today they're priests who you know they're they're never going to be they're never going to be you know an episcopal vicar uh, they're never going to work in the chancery they're not going to you know run whatever the diocesan ministry is for such and such they're not going to have the biggest parishes and maybe some of their fellow priests look down on them and he's a country bumpkin and he's too orthodox or he's too traditional or he's too whatever and uh, they make fun of him behind his back and meanwhile he's over there saving souls yeah well 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 they're scandalizing people in their own mm-hmm. parishes I've seen that too I don't want to go to mass with the guys that are scandalizing people in the parishes yeah I, I you know I want to cultivate relationships and friendships with those unsung heroes of which there have always been many now is this any different from the company of the disciples? Within the company of the disciples, Peter denied Christ. Peter offended the Gentiles. James and John were a couple of blowhards that Jesus called the sons of thunder because they wanted to call down fire and brimstone on their enemies. You know, Judas uh, betrayed him to death, um, and, uh, and, and Thomas doubted him. That, that's five that we know of out of Twelve.
0: Not a good and batting average. it doesn't mean
4: average. the other seven all had it all together. It just yeah. means that, you know, we didn't know as
0: much about them, yeah. right? And
4: so, that, I mean, this is just part of the human condition. It's always been there.
0: Yeah. Uh, Samuel, thanks so much for your call. My wife, Adrienne, I'm quoting her again. Uh, she often says, well, the church is perfect, but some of the folks in the church, maybe not so much. Is that an accurate statement, do you think?
4: Yeah, yeah, that's that's traditional teaching. Okay. We made, in fact, one of the one of the uh, older traditional descriptions of the church was the societas perfecta, a perfect society, made of imperfect people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Thanks again for your call, Samuel. Here's Rick, a first time caller in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, listening on Sirius XM channel one thirty. Rick, what's on your mind today, sir?
2: Uh, yeah, I uh, noticed that uh, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus never promised his audience the Jews that salvation was a free gift, he told them to strive to enter a straight gate. There was works involved along with their faith. But then you look at Paul. Paul in uh, Romans 5 and 6 says salvation is a free gift. He says it again in Ephesians eight times. And he said, but now we're no more under the law. Twice in Romans and again in the uh, complete Colossians. So there's a huge dispensational change that took place from Jesus' ministry to when he was crucified, and then he gave the ministry to Paul, and we're told to follow Paul's ministry today, and salvation is free according to First Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Yeah, you got a 24. question, Rich?
4: You got a question? A question for you?
2: Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, why, why all these religious groups? Uh, you look at the TV evangelists, and in fact, all the TV evangelists, Osteen, Jakes, uh, Copeland, Paul and White, they all love the Catholic Church, which would tell you something's wrong with the Catholic Church, and and them also. All right,
4: let me respond to that, Rich. I really appreciate the question. So I didn't really hear a question, but I heard a challenge to to Catholic doctrine, that you acknowledge that Jesus taught an ethical uh, uh, path to salvation, and you asserted that uh, that there's a dispensational change and that Paul teaches a different path to salvation from Jesus. At least that's how I think I understood you. Now, I know that perspective on Paul and Jesus. I've heard that, of course, growing up, but that's not the case. Um, so if the way Paul has been read by most Christians for 2,000 years is that when Paul says we're saved by faith and not by works of the law, what he means is the, the works of the law as the law of Moses— is a way of marking out your identity as a member of God's covenant people. like There are people in Paul's day who thought that in virtue of having the law of Moses, that they were on God's good side, Jews basically. And Paul says, no, it isn't that way. It isn't that way. Jesus himself says this, you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters like love and justice and mercy. What Paul actually says in Romans 2.13 is it's not hearing the law, it's obeying the law by which you will be declared righteous. That comes about through the circumcision of your heart by the Spirit, Romans two twenty-five and 29, whereby the love of God is poured into your heart, uh, Romans 5, 5, so that you can fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, which are the love of God and neighbor, Romans thirteen eight. And so the Catholic position has always been that there is a perfect continuity between Paul and Jesus. There are not two different dispensations. There's one dispensation— and, uh, and it is that we have to, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But it is a righteousness that comes by faith, as the Spirit of God pours his love into our heart, so that we're no longer simply keeping the outward requirements of the Mosaic Code, but the real righteous requirements of the law, love and justice and mercy, are poured into our hearts by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Thereby, Jesus can say to us on the last day, in truth, well done, good and faithful servant.
0: Our uh, call screener, Matt, says that uh, he's, uh, that our, our caller, Rick, uh, wants to know, you know, what could you say regarding the church? He sees it lived poorly all around, but he suspects it could be done well.
4: Um, yeah, well, I, I live it fairly poorly, but I'm making an <laughs> effort, you know, I'm trying. And, uh, and I see it lived poorly as well, but um, uh, particularly in my own case— but I stick with it because I also see the example of the saints. And in in Catholicism, we have these singular individuals that we hold up for emulation. They're ordinary people like you and me who have lived the faith extraordinarily well with a great generosity of spirit and self-sacrifice uh, and their models of holiness for the rest of us, showing us that it is possible to live the Catholic faith with generosity.
0: Yeah, I'm not so much interested in, well, what about this guy who's not living it or what about that guy who's not living it or this woman over here? I'm more interested in people like St. Thomas More or St. Catherine of Siena. Those are the ones that are giving yeah, I me the... emulate. Yeah, exactly. that's where I want to go. Rick, what a great call. Thanks so much for checking in from Lake Geneva. Dr. David Anders, thank you, sir. Thank you, Tom. We do this program Monday through Friday right here on EWTN Radio, 2 p.m. Eastern for our broadcast. Check out the podcast anytime you'd like by going to EWTN.com forward slash radio. Once you're there, uh, click on the words Podcast Central. Those are in alphabetical order. Scroll down a little bit. You will definitely see Call to Communion. On behalf of our fantastic team here, I'm Tom Price along with Dr. David Anders. Hey, thanks for joining us. See you tomorrow on the Thursday edition of Call to Communion. Have yourselves a wonderful day. God bless.